What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Shadow Talk. With me today, I have the uh, usual crew, myself, Alex, along with Charles and Casey. How are you both doing today? Pretty good, man. Pretty good. Hey there. Doing well. Good. Casey had a uh, slight bit of mishap earlier just now when we were trying to record because she didn't have her microphone plugged into her computer. How does, how does that feel, Casey? Yeah, that's uh, that's obviously a very imperative, you know, problem to solve whenever you're working with audio and video capabilities on a podcast. Technology is really hard. I think we can all attest to that, especially Charles. Oh man, yeah, yeah it's tough. <laughs> so I think that means I'll I'll have to go to you, Charles, for this first topic. So we've had a pretty interesting couple of weeks in the in the cybersphere and this story it stuck out to me and i know charles you and i talked about this when it first got reported just because of how hilarious it is and i think for that reason alone we could just we, we had to include it so there is this uh this ransomware that's being spread now that is uh disguising itself as a decryptor for a different type of ransomware what can you tell us about this charles uh, yeah, so basically people are uh, advertising that they're going to decrypt the stop ransomware variant. It's uh, one of the more prolific ransomware variants out there. Uh, so when you download this file uh, and you provide your information and everything, uh, what it does is then it double encrypts everything that's already encrypted. Uh, so it's just a fake decryptor and double encrypts all of your already encrypted stuff and then asks for another payment on top of that. So in in theory, they would you know decrypt everything if you paid and then you'd be left with the other encrypted files from the other people so i mean it's i feel bad for people that have fallen victim to this but at the same time just the entire concept <laughs> of it is it's just it's a really it's really hard to not laugh about it G given everything going on uh it's I, I feel like this is one of the lighter things out there it's just a really quality troll move on behalf of somebody so yeah and i mean I, I do feel bad for anyone that's been hit by this because, you know, when you're affected by ransomware, you're already in a pretty vulnerable state. And I can imagine a lot of people are, are desperate to get their files back. So they might be maybe more prone to falling victim to something like this. And I mean, they're taking, again, like, like so many other cyber criminals, they're taking advantage of people's emotions, right? Um, you might not be thinking as clearly or as rationally as you would be if, you know, your files were easily accessible and you weren't the victim of a cyber crime. Um, and like you said, you know, stop ransomware, there's a bunch of different kinds of, of stop out there and they were encrypting those files with, with Zorab ransomware. And there's no link between those two ransomwares as far as I'm aware. It's not like it's the same group that's, that's doing this. I don't know if that would be better or if it would be worse, but again, I think it's another example of, um, cyber criminals, I mean, ransomware operators in general, adding another layer to their attacks, um, even though this is kind of not the same way as a lot of other groups are doing it, but you still see this kind of mix between how they're building off other ransomware attacks. I just find it yeah, yeah. very weird, to say the least. Absolutely. And I think, too, is because that, that variant typically attacks home users more than yeah. corporate kind of thing. So it's just, yeah, you're definitely more inclined to have somebody who's just a victim and not necessarily like a, a corporate security person. Uh, looking at something with a little bit more cautious eye. So. Yeah. Yeah. And as, as far as I'm aware, there aren't any, um, there, there are publicly available decryptors out there for some older uh, stop variants, but this one 
there is no public decryption available for it right now. As, I mean, at least as far as I could tell when I was researching this. So yeah, same here. So yeah. I mean, I just kind of find it interesting that ransomware kind of started as more of an individual attack and it's kind of grown to being more corporate specific. So I think it's kind of interesting. They're almost pulling it back to, you know, the beginnings with the specific variant. But yeah, it's cool. I think it's hilarious. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Hilarious. I guess that depends on <laughs> your perspective on it, right? If, if yeah. this were me, I, I wouldn't think it's very funny, but on the, from the outside, you can look at it with a pretty humorous perspective. I mean, yeah, with troll mode on, it's definitely funny. <laughs> Another topic that I wanted to touch on was this uh, DDoS protection tool that's being circulated across a bunch of different cyber criminal and dark web forums, and it's called uh, Endgame of all things. And whenever I was uh, reading about this, so we, we recently published a blog about this um, that'll be available in the show notes. Uh, it came out a couple of days ago, so check that out. Um, it's just I could not get the Avengers uh, messaging and the pictures out of my head whenever I was looking at this. So, Casey, what what is this endgame DDoS protection tool? You know, where is it being advertised? What can you tell us about it? Yeah, so just just like you just said, um, it's it's a DDoS protection mechanism. So this was originally released by a moderator on Dread, um, completely free for the entire community. And it, it seems pretty interesting. I mean whenever you think about criminal marketplaces and criminal forums, I mean, a lot of them have been taken offline for multiple reasons. And a lot of times that's through a DDoS attack. So that can be like an extortion attempt or rival platforms disrupting their competitors or even down to law enforcement trying to disrupt that. So yeah, I mean, in the end, they wanted to kind of release this suite of tools, if you will, and they're designed to prevent those DDoS attacks. Um, It actually comes with a pretty sweet list of capabilities. So you have the front system that's designed to safely and privately protect the uh, core application servers on the Onion service. And then it's also locally and locally compiled and locally run. So you don't have to worry about a trusted or middle party. And then another one is that it's fully scripted and super easy to deploy. So for mass scaling even, and then it's, you know, specifically used on Debian 10 systems. So really interesting stuff. So this uh this this tool set essentially right it was it was created not just by one individual or one group of users this was like a combined effort from a bunch of different people from various different dark web marketplaces right the yeah. white house market big blue market empire market etc so it's a pretty significant attempt to see these kinds of um cyber criminals collaborating on something like this because if you look at a lot of the uh, the dark web forums and dark web marketplaces they're constantly trying to protect against ddos attacks right if you look at the kinds yeah, of protections definitely. they have up now literally every single site has some sort of captcha mechanism or you know some sort of uh you know, traffic i want to say cloudflare but i don't know if they're actually using cloudflare on onion sites i don't think they are i don't think they are no or some like Cloudflare equivalent type of DDoS protection. So it's interesting to see them come up with this because there is um, like a niche market for people to protect their dark websites with this kind of tool set and to see it released for free too, right, is, is really unique, I'd say. 
Yeah, no, I completely agree. And it's, it's kind of cool that it is released for free. However, right now it's not actually open source. So you can't actually see the code right now. And that's more or less because the developers didn't want to delay the launch in any way. Um, but I'm kind of curious to, to see like once the code is released, if it's even possible to like repurpose or reconfigure to be used as a DDoS solution, even on the clear web. Yeah, because I don't know if it's possible, but I'm not I'm not sure because you you already have some sorts of, of DDoS protection capabilities, of course, on, on clear websites. But this kind of tool set, I think, is unique to the dark web. But I, yeah. I can't imagine that there is nothing to learn from this if some people wanted to implement similar things on their own clear websites. So, again, I, I guess we'll see, first of all, how it ends up working, because like you said, right, it's still not completely 100 percent available right now. Correct. Right. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, so I guess we'll see how it pans out. For sure. Cool. And I think we're going to stay on the, uh, the dark web here uh, for the next topic. And uh, we, I feel like this has become some sort of a meme on this podcast where we're just always saying, oh, well, we talk about ransomware so often. Oh, so I'm, I'm not even going to say it again. Let's just talk about our, our beloved Sudden Akibi um, ransomware group. What are they doing recently? Well, they, um, along with a couple of other ransomware groups, they have these websites that they operate where they name and shame their victims and try to coerce them into uh, making their payments and releasing their files, um, threatening to uh, release sensitive stuff. Um, but what Sudnikibi recently did on their, their happy blog is what their website is called. <laughs> it's a pretty, pretty funny name, all things considered. They added an auction section to it. So instead of just trying to, you know, if, if a company doesn't end up paying those ransom demands and if they don't care that their data is going to be out there, then they've decided to say, hey, what can we do with this? Well, we can take this data and we can do like an auction for it to get, get it to the highest bidder. And this isn't something that we've seen from any of the other groups that have been kind of following a similar path to Sudnukibi. But my main question was like, right, so so we've seen groups like like Maze and Doppel doppelpamer um, pioneering these uh, name and shame websites. Well, what if Sudnikibi now, because of this auction site, what if these other groups will start to do something similar, right? Finding additional ways to monetize their attacks if their victim can either successfully, successfully contain the ransomware attack or don't care, right? So I think just project, projecting out over the next couple of months, I personally wouldn't be surprised if we see more than just Sudnikibi do these auction style websites for their data because you have to adapt right to wherever your victims are are going right if if it turns out that a lot of them are just not making their payments then you're gonna have to find other ways to monetize it just as the reason why a lot of these name and shame websites were created yeah i mean i think it's really interesting even in like terms of a business perspective like whenever you think about negotiating one of the really old things that you always heard was the first one to name their price effectively loses so this kind of like opens up the gates to see how much return they can get on the data that they leak yeah and a lot of these other groups like like maze for example as well over the past couple of weeks they've been collaborating with other ransomware operators and they've been calling themselves the uh, the maze cartel which I don't know how accurate that is. I don't want to give them the, the pleasure of having that name, but it's, it's interesting to see, again, like we were talking about with the, uh, the DDoS protection stuff, seeing these different cyber criminal groups just operating together towards one end goal and being this one being making, making money. So 
if you want to read more about um, these ransomware groups teaming up with Maze um, leading the pack, be sure to check out the Insum that will be published this week. That will be linked in the show notes as well, and that's the main topic for the Insum. And so for our last topic, I want to bring, bring us back to a good old friend, the Dark Overlord. We've heard a lot about the Dark Overlord, maybe not so much in recent months, but if you look back to 2017, 2018, they were one of the main extortionist threat actors that were out there. You know, they were involved in a whole bunch of different high-profile extortion attempts against various types of organization, but recently they've gone kind of cold. We haven't really seen much activity from the Dark Overlord until now, where it turns out that at least one member of um, the Dark Overlord Collective had agreed to uh, to plead guilty. So there was a, there were some charges put against uh, Nathan Wyatt of the Dark Overlord, and I believe he is a British national, and he was extradited to the U.S., right, Casey? Yeah, you're correct. They brought him over to the U.S. Yeah, so it's actually pretty interesting to see that happen because that, I mean, as far as I know, with these... Uh, with these cyber crimes, it's it's fairly difficult to actually extradite someone. So we don't really see that happening too often. Oftentimes those charges are are laid out, but nothing ever really happens from them. So it's it's cool to see there's actually something moving. Um, the gears are moving in this case. So Casey, wh- who is the Dark Overlord or who are the Dark Overlord? Can you give us like a little bit of a rundown of what they're they're known for and what they've been doing? Yeah, for sure. So basically in, you know, 2016, 2017, 2018, how you were saying, they carried out a lot of attacks and that was particularly aimed toward healthcare organizations, but also included a long slew of other U.S.-based organizations. And they just, this might sound familiar to you, um, began naming and shaming their victims and then dumping data of the victims if they didn't pay the extortion demands. So we were kind of talking about, you know, the the pioneers of this naming and shaming routine, but TDO or the Dark Overlord is also really well known for this. So it's very interesting. Yeah. And we haven't seen any kind of activity from them like since 2019 or whatever. And it was interesting, like looking at the actual charges, they, he wasn't charged with hacking per se, right? There were, there were three different types of charges brought against him. I think it was one count of conspiracy against the United States, two counts of aggravated identity theft, three counts of threatening damage to a protected computer. So those are really specific. I mean, Charles, what, what do those charges mean essentially? And, and why isn't he being charged with like, quote unquote, hacking? Uh, so I think a big part of that is, I mean, the, the computer laws in the US are very uh, weird and that there's no actual real like hacking law per se. So you have the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act that people who get uh, indicted for crimes under, but uh, typically, like the federal government, like this, what you'll see, like the conspiracy against the United States, uh, pretty much can be used to nail somebody down for a wide variety of things. Uh, if you may remember, they they use that in like the big Mueller probe. A lot of people were charged with conspiracy against the United States, so it's just uh, basically having a plan. Uh, you know, I'm I'm not a lawyer, but the the general my general understanding of it would be that like, they have a plan to potentially like, defraud the United States out of money or something. Uh, or, or a government entity. So in, in and amongst all of their uh, activities that Dark Overlord was doing, uh, they probably ended up uh, targeting a, a federal computer somewhere and uh, got access to something. And that's why they're doing this. And the other thing I was going to point out, what I think yeah, is, is interesting, is one that, again, with him being extradited, I think, too, a lot of these folks tend to be in uh, non-extradition countries. That's why we see a lot of it just kind of pan out where nothing really happens other than they're indicted. Uh, so I, I do think that is interesting that this person just stayed in the UK while they were doing that, given the uh, relationship between American and, and uh, 
UK's intelligence agencies and law enforcement branches that uh, that additional risk was there. And now they're here in the US getting charged for federal crimes. <laughs> Doesn't sound like a fun time, right? No, no, it does not. Got not him. So he's, he's the only member of the Dark Overlord right now that's been charged so far, right? And, and he has Maybe these trials. Maybe he is the Dark Overlord. He, he very well could be. <laughs> the way that they were talking about themselves, I think it's still a little bit of a mystery, but it's also a little bit suspicious that we haven't seen any kind of activity from them recently, like at all. And then you have all of a sudden this coming out that they were extradited and charged. So they, yeah. their trial is due to take place on the 15th of June. So that's actually in a couple of days now, next week. Um, we don't know if they'll take a plea deal, but he has until that date to decide that, right, Casey? Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely curious to see how that goes. I mean, I wish they would kind of put that for everyone to see in the court, but, you know, <laughs> it's not going to happen. I just want to be nosy. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, uh, maybe we'll see the, the, the outcome of whatever hearing he's going to be attending, so keep your eyes peeled for that over the next couple of weeks. So... Other than that, there's one other thing that I wanted to plug is that the uh, Photon team at Digital Shadows published a blog about um, the top exploited CVEs over the past couple of years. So, so CISA put out a, um, an advisory report a couple of weeks ago now about the uh, top exploited CVEs um, from 2016 up till 2019, as well as some of the more exploited ones in 2020 so far. And it was a really interesting uh, report to look at. And so the Photon team did a little bit of a deep dive into some more broader trends there and plugging in some of the other work that we as a company have done surrounding some of those CVEs as well. So it's, it's worth, a, worth a read, definitely, if you have time. So check that one out. Thanks, everyone, for listening to yet another episode of Shadow Talk. We'll be back next week, as per usual. And thank you, Charles. Thank you, Casey. Hope everyone has a, has a good weekend this week, and we'll see you guys later. Bye.